Welcome to the Crossroads Church Sermon Podcast. The following message is meant to help intersect your road with God's road. Crossroads Church gathers to discover God, grow in Him, and reach out to others. For more information, visit crossroadsstjames.life. How can I stop what was prophesied over me back in the days of Adam and Eve? How can I get that to stop? And uh, so throughout the Old Testament, he was constantly doing everything he could behind the scenes to annihilate the Jews, to get rid of them. That's what he wanted to do because he knew there was going to be a Messiah, a Savior that was going to come. And the Lord told him, hey, listen, you're going to nip at his heel, but guess what he's going to do? He's going to crush your head. I mean, if I was told someone was going to crush my head, I'd do everything I could to make sure that person was never born. And that's what Satan is trying to do throughout this time. So I can't help but think that at the end of chapter 3, Haman, Xerxes, and Satan are all like, sweet, we are good to go. Everything is going as planned, and this is a good time. This is going to be, this is going to be amazing. Um, so when it looks good for evil, typically that means that's, that's a pretty pivotal, pivotal point within the Bible. Now, don't get me wrong. The entirety of the Bible is ageless and it is there. Sometimes you have to dig a little deeper to kind of get the point to kind of get to understand what in the world does, you know, a tribe in the Middle East, 5,000 years ago have anything to do with me today, um, but, but it's, it always is there. This, though, chapter in, in Esther, Esther chapter 4, is just one of those chapters, though, that's ageless, and you don't have to dig very deep to see the truths in it for, for believers even, even today. Um, uh, there are certain passages that resonate with the spirit and the soul of a born-again believer, and they just stand the test of time, and this is what we're about to see here. Uh, there is a great faith that we're going to see in both Mordecai and Esther that, dare I say, every single believer in Christ has faced with varying degrees of success and failure on the other end. We're going to see Mordecai act. We're going to see Esther act. And I, I, I really do think, especially if, if you're over the age of 18, that, that you have come across a lot of situations in your life where, where it's like, man, I've, I've got a pivotal decision to make. And, and sometimes we do really good with it. Sometimes we don't, but the Lord's grace and mercy is there to help us through it all, no matter what happens. So with that being said, we got Xerxes, uh, Haman and Satan partying it up. This is great. Let's dive into Esther chapter four, starting at verse one. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in every province, wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and lamenting and many of them lay in sackcloth Excuse me, and ashes. Now, of course, this seems pretty normal, right? You just got a decree. You got 11 months to live. I mean, 
most people aren't about to party it up, right? Oh, this is great. Well, I better do what I can to, to make the most of my last 11 months. No, they're, they're absolutely grieving. However, what's interesting here is we're going to see Mordecai say some things to Esther in, in, in a couple of verses here that the grieving from Mordecai is, is quite different than possibly the rest of the nation. The rest of the nation may actually be grieving. I'm going to die in 11 months, and this is horrific. Mordecai, it's, it's a little bit different. He's more thinking of, I cannot believe that the governmental authority that's over me and my people are acting like such morons. <laughs> These guys are absolute buffoons. He, he is so irked by this, so grievous of this, that he goes to the, the palace, to the gates of the king, and, and could care less about whatever their rules are for decency. You know, you're supposed to look really nice, you know, prim and proper, make sure your hair is cut and you got some nice clothes on if you're going to be approaching the king. Mordecai is like, heck no. You guys want to act like a bunch of buffoons and wipe out an entire nation of people? I'm going to show up in sackcloth and ashes, almost like an ancient protest, and say, listen, this is horrific, this is horrible, and he cries out. The fact that he's in the middle of the city, and then he goes all the way to the king's palace and does these things and, and, and kind of um, makes, a, and, and, uh, makes a scene, you know, something that would really upset people, something that would, people would look at and say, you've got to be kidding me. What is this man doing sitting here in the middle of the city, right outside the palace of the king, dressed in sackcloth and ashes and, and, and just looking like this poor, pitiful fool when the truth is Mordecai knows exactly what he's doing. And he's saying, listen, you guys are a bunch of idiots. <laughs> you have no clue what you're doing. To an extent, we Minnesotans kind of might want to take a lesson here from Mordecai. As each ungodly law after ungodly law is being passed through the last like month, we need to put on the proverbial sackcloth and ashes. Start fasting and praying and saying, Lord, what's going on here? We need to get to the king's gates and say, God, we need you to do something because it's getting bad here. I've made a joke to, to Stevie and, and a couple of people. I don't know which sounds better. If we should change the name to Minifornia or, or Calisota, I don't know. You can choose if you'd like to. But if you don't know what I'm talking about, we're kind of combining Minnesota and California because everything just seems to be going in that direction. But um, the, everything that's happening, you, you kind of can get an understanding. I mean, it's they're not calling for the death of us. They're not calling for churches to be shut down or anything. But they are calling for the death of, of a lot of people, little babies. And, and to see that happening, we, we could learn a lot from Mordecai and say, Lord, I am here. And I, I, I mean, I don't own any sackcloth and I don't have any ashes. But I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm going to grill it up tomorrow. Maybe I'll save some of the ashes tomorrow. But, um, but the, the, the idea of that humility and saying, God, we are in a time of trouble. We are in a time of darkness. And I'm going to cry out to you because my government is acting like a bunch of buffoons, just like Mordecai's government was acting like a bunch of buffoons. So this happens. Mordecai is out there. He's dressed in sackcloth. He's making a scene. But what's going on with Queen Esther? What's happening with the queen, his cousin? What's going on here? Look at verse 4 
of chapter 4, verse 4, when Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hathak, um, uh, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed to attend her and order him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. Uh, verse 6, Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. And Hathak uh, went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Verse 10, Then Esther spoke to Hathak and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces show that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law, to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king these 30 days. In short, what's going on with Queen Esther? She's been sheltered. She's been stuck in the palace. And Xerxes is just doing what he's doing. Doesn't care about the queen. He's, I mean, that's not the purpose of the queen. I could care less about you know, policy and everything with you. So I'm just doing everything that I'm going to be doing. And you have no clue what's going on. She's just sitting in her room in her ivory tower, whatever it is, just sitting there and, and has no idea what's going on. Even to the point where when she hears about Mordecai, she's like, well, what's happening? Did someone in the family die? Are they, are they mourning something like this? I have no clue. Someone go out, give these clothes to Mordecai and find out what's going on because, man, people are going to be really ticked off. Mordecai comes, returns the clothes and says, no, this ain't how it's going to be. So she sends a specific messenger to figure out exactly what's going on. And Mordecai comes out and tells that messenger, Hathak, he says, listen, this is not good. And you need to tell the queen what's happening. And he goes into specific details that were not public. Listen, the price that Haman was taking, remember the, the 288 million pounds uh, or the $288 million worth of silver that he was paying for this? And, uh, you know, the, it was the, the, the treasury of an entire nation of Greece at the time. He tells her that purposefully because he's letting her know, listen, this is real. This isn't a joke. I'm not freaking out here. And then here's a decree just to let you know what's going on because you apparently didn't see it. You have no idea what's going on. And he shows her all of these things and he tells her all of these things through her, uh, through her attendant there. And, and he comes back and, and, and Esther hears about it. She sees that. She's like, well, what am I supposed to do? And she goes back to Mordecai and through Hathak again, because heaven forbid anybody be able to talk to somebody like right there. But anyways, goes back to Hathak and says, you let him know. This is, this is impossible. I can't go before the king. You should know. Nobody goes before the king unless they've been summoned by the king. And if you do go to the inner courts without permission, you're dead. He's going to kill you right then and there. To make things worse... Me, his wife, his queen, hasn't been with him for a month. He can care less about me. We are, I mean, 
Esther's pretty much throwing up her hands in there and saying, we're stuck. I don't know what we're going to do. Mordecai does, though. The Lord has a plan, and Mordecai responds. And as we'll see, this isn't some last-ditch effort to beg Esther. You know, Esther, you better do what I say, or please do this, and those kinds of things. He, he doesn't come groveling by any means. He gives her three kind of blunt but prophetic responses with the power of the Spirit behind his words. Look at verse 12 with me of chapter 4. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther. Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Three little points that he gives her, but they're extremely powerful. And they're not just for her. Like I said, this is good for all of us. We can learn greatly from what Mordecai has to say. First of all, the first thing he talks about right at the beginning there, she can't hide in the palace. She can't hide behind her title as queen. That's not going to happen. They're going to find out that she is Jewish, and she's going to suffer the same fate that the rest of them are. You can't just hide in your ivory tower and think everything's going to be good. Because they're going to find out and they're going to kill you too. Xerxes doesn't care. You just said yourself. You haven't seen him in a month. He's going to kill you once he finds out that you're Jewish. Because remember, he's told her, don't tell him you're Jewish. And we're waiting for that time as to why. And we'll see it in a, in, in a week or so here. But anyways... We are consistently shown, for us, we are consistently shown in the Word of God to stand against injustice, and there are times when we mess that up because of the position we are in. Maybe we're in our own little ivory tower, and we're closed off to, to the injustices that are happening out there, to the fact that people are suffering various things for whatever it is. And, but when I say suffering various things, I mean people are truly being oppressed by other people uh, or, or by Satan himself. I'm not talking about someone goes out and acts like a fool and, and is in sin and all of a sudden, next thing you notice, they're, they're in a bunch of trouble. Listen, God's forgiveness is there and he cares about that. But, but, but what I'm talking about is the focusing on those that are being oppressed, those that are suffering injustices. Right here within our country, right here uh, within our own backyard, people that are suffering through racism, people that are suffering through disadvantages because people don't like the color of their skin or how they talk or what they look like or anything like that. The Bible is clear very often that we are supposed to keep our eyes open to those types of injustices and say, Lord, what can we do to help this situation? The Lord doesn't give you this, this, this escape route of, well, you're comfortable in your nice little church there and in your nice little house there and in your car and, and with your checking account all good and whatnot and, and, and enjoying all of your stuff while ignoring all the garbage that's happening outside of your nice little area. You don't get to hide behind that. That's not what the Lord does. That's not what the Lord kind of allows us to do. That's not how that works. We ignore it because we're not experiencing hardship. We're, we're perfectly fine. We're perfectly comfortable. What does it matter to me? Sorry for that person. And then sometimes what happens is it's, it's even worse. Our reaction is, is terrible. What do we do? We see something happening. We're like, oh man, that's really a bummer. We'll be praying for you. And then you move on. 
But what does James 2, 15 through 6 tell us? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? (laughs) What good is that? I see your oppression. I see the pain that you're going through. I see these things. Man, that's a real bummer. I'll talk to you later. You may not have the physical things right then and there to give them, but we are called by God to say, listen, you know, like Peter said, silver and gold have I not, but what I do have I give to you freely. I've got the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe I do. Maybe I do got some silver and gold that can help you in your situation. Maybe I've got a place for you to stay. Maybe I've got some food. Maybe I've got a voice that can, that can help uh, in this situation to, to help people like kind of get off your back. Whatever it may be, I can help you and, 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 and make those kinds of things happen. There's a quote out there that is misattributed to an Irish philosopher named Edmund Burke. I, I heard it was JFK that kind of messed that up and said, hey, this guy said this. It's not the case. They can't find it anywhere in any of his writings, but the saying is pretty popular, and I'm sure you've all heard it before. The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Sometimes we hide behind our titles. We hide behind our jobs. We hide behind our positions. We hide behind our church. We hide behind our family. We hide behind something. Also, we can avoid the uncomfortableness of doing the right thing. And sometimes we have to say, you know what? This is going to be uncomfortable. This is probably going to be painful. But I've been called by God. I am a believer in God, and he's called me to come against these things. And I need to stand firm on the power of the Holy Spirit, on the power of the word that is alive within me, and I need to move forward. We have to be careful that we don't get stuck in our ivory tower and think that we can hide behind our position, hide behind our title, hide behind our stuff, and think that we can just go on. So that's the first thing that Mordecai tells Queen Esther. The second thing that he says to her, and this is kind of the evidence, that Mordecai wasn't too overly concerned about this decree. He's not too concerned that, you know, they're planning on wiping out the the entirety of of the Jewish nation. But what does he say here, uh, back in uh, in verse, uh, 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 verse 14? For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Right there is evidence that he's like, I know that we're not going to get annihilated. The Lord is going to deliver us because I know we haven't found the Messiah yet. (laughs) So someone's going to deliver us. And so what does he tell Esther? If you're not going to do anything about it, that's fine. The Lord will move on and use someone else. Someone else will, will come through. And, and, and he, gets, he gets really deep with, with, with Esther and says, listen, if you decide not to do something about it, not only will the Lord move on, but you and your father's household will, will pass away, will die. Now, what's interesting there is, what does he mean by your father's household? As far as we know, she's orphaned, right? It's, it's, it's just her and, and Mordecai is helping her. Either maybe she had some sisters and, and the way that, 
you know, society was set up by back then. Women often did not have much, much status. So, so maybe she had some sisters that weren't considered worthy or anything, and they were being taken care of by someone else other than Mordecai. Or maybe he's just being very blunt with her and telling her, listen, you die, guess what? That's it. You're over. You're done. The, your, the name of your father's house, it ends with you. Nobody else from your father moves on. Maybe he's being blunt like that and, and kind of telling her, that's it. You're it. You're the last one from, from your father and your mother's line. And then it ends with you because you decided to not do that. And the Lord went ahead and moved on. Now, listen, it, it is not as serious of a situation, but I've seen this happen in every church that I've been in. I've talked with at least one person in every church I've been in, in every youth group that I've been in, where a person will say, you know, we're, we're a Pentecostal church today. If you didn't know, it's Pentecost Sunday. And so, uh, I, we, I mean, we, we kind of celebrate Pentecost Sunday every Sunday, right? We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit and that he's alive and well every, every day of the year, not just, not just today. Um, but, but in all seriousness, uh, you know, we believe in, in the gifts of the Spirit. We believe that, that he is alive and well, that he still speaks through us, words of knowledge, words of prophecy, tongues, interpretation, all those kinds of things. And I, like I said, I have spoken to at least one person, every congregation I've ever been in, that has come up to me and said... I felt the Lord telling me to say something, but I, I was just nervous, and, and I didn't know if, if I should. I didn't know if it really was the Lord, and then all of a sudden, someone else speaks up, and that was the exact word that I had. The Lord just kind of was like, okay, you're not confident enough. Fine, I'm going to move on to the next person and let them do that. The Lord does that. Now listen, understand this, friends. It's fine the first time or two, maybe three. I don't know. I'm not really confident about that. I'm not sure if I should move in that, in that way. That's fine. The Lord, the Lord will move on there. Hopefully you build your confidence, though, in here and say that is the message. So I understand and know that the Lord is speaking through me and wanted to speak through me. After a while, though, friends, it's like Mordecai said. We're just going to send, we're just going to bounce to the next person. Holy Spirit is going to move over to the other person that's going to be willing and bold enough to step out and do what, what he's been called to do, what that person has been called to do. We see so many people in history, you know, you see all these different names throughout, you know, church history and, and the power that they've had, you know, Billy Graham and Dwight L. Moody and, um, uh, names are escaping me now. But anyways, Charles Spurgeon, those kinds of folks. You hear those names and how powerful and, and the ministries that they led. I'm telling you right now, what they did was, was they, they followed when the Lord spoke to them. When this Holy Spirit came upon them, they didn't step away. They said, all right, Lord, I, I'm going to move forward with what you said. And the people that you don't know, that you have never heard of, that have never done anything, well, it could just be that they just ignored the Lord and said, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to move forward in that. I'm too scared or I'm too concerned about this. And, and they missed an opportunity, a chance to be used by God Almighty to do something uh, it may not have been grand, but it was something powerful in at least the life of one other person to show them the power of God, whatever it may have been. So 
Number one, listen, you can't hide behind your position and your title. Uh, number two, if, if you're not going to move, the Lord is going to use someone else then. So it's, it's up to you. And then finally, the third response, and this is probably the most popular verse in the book, in the whole story. Esther may have been called for such a time as this. Mordecai just comes out and says it. You probably won everything. <laughs> that whole, let's see who's going to be the next queen of Persia. You probably won that because of this. The Lord had a plan. The Lord had a design. And he wanted you here at this moment, at this time, for this very purpose. And when you read what he said, you know, back in, 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 in verse uh, 14 there, you know, it's, it's almost like you, you kind of wonder, and some people have kind of, you know, taken that little rabbit trail, that maybe Esther wasn't too hot on doing that initially when Mordecai told her, hey, we're going to have you enter into this contest. She may not have liked it because he, you know, look at what he, look, look at how he said to her, how he said this to her at the second half of verse 14. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Maybe, maybe Mordecai could sense it, or maybe Esther may have even said something to Mordecai. Like, I, I don't like this. I'm not comfortable with this. This isn't how I want to do this. And maybe Mordecai had had to have times where it's like, listen, Let's just see what the Lord does. And then we come to this point and that culmination. And he tells her, listen, this is probably why you were called to do this. It's not the most comfortable thing. It's not the most fun thing. Um, you may not have enjoyed any second of anything that's been going on. But you're definitely called for this time for this place. This was all done to bring her to the culmination of saving the Jewish nation. Listen, friends, it is so important that we stay connected to God in an effort to make sure we don't leave or quit too early. We go through whatever the grind might be because the Lord is preparing us for such a time as whatever might be down the road. You know, when you're looking for a new job, when you're looking for, you know, a new school, when, when you're thinking about changing a major direction in your life for whatever it may be, it, it, it's so important that we go to the Lord and say, Lord, what do you want me to do here? Because I don't want to mess this up. I want to make sure that I am prepared for whatever time you have called me to, for whatever it is. You don't live there in fear. You don't sit there and think, oh my goodness, if I do this, nothing's ever going to end up right. That's not what it is. And even if you don't feel like, well, I'm not getting an answer from the Lord, I'm going to go ahead and go in this, in this direction. The Lord can redeem it if it's the wrong direction. The, 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 the intent, though, needs to be Lord, I want to follow wherever you're leading me. And I may not get a specific word that this is the way it's supposed to be, but I'm going to go in this direction. And if it's the wrong direction, the Lord will, will turn you back. But if it's the right direction, you're good to go. And you're kind of following the path of Esther. You've been called to such a time as that. So with all this being said, how is Esther going to respond? She can't hide behind her title. If she doesn't do something, someone else is going to do something. And, and by golly, I mean, it gives a, this is a really good reason why the heck she's queen uh, at, at this moment in time. So how will Esther respond to this? Look at verse 15. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susan, hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then 
I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had, told, had ordered him. Man, how powerful is that? How powerful is that? She says she's going to do it. And like Hananiah, Azariah, and Michelle, if you don't remember those names, that's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're told, hey, you better bow. If you don't, you're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. What did they say? Well, we're pretty sure we're not going to die. But if we do, we still ain't going to bow. <laughs> we don't care. And that's kind of what Esther is saying here. If I perish, I perish. But I'm going to do this. She got this thought in her head, this deeper thought of, I'd rather die in obedience than live in sin. I'd rather die in obedience than live in comfort. I'd rather die knowing that I did all that I could for the Lord, all that I could for the kingdom of God, all that I could for the nation of the most holy one. I did everything that I could, and I died. But man, at, at least I knew I did everything that I could as opposed to living for the rest of your life, which technically she was prophesied over her that that wouldn't happen, but th th that I would live for the rest of my life regretting the fact that I did nothing and that I just sat there. We come to Memorial Day tomorrow and remember those who have died for our freedom that was the same kind of thought those soldiers had. Those men and women preferred to die knowing they were helping their nation than to live not doing anything. Some of them, you know, they, they, they knew God and they understood the call of God on their lives. And they went forward with it knowing that if they perish, they perish. But at least I knew I was doing something that, that I was called by God to do. Now listen, friends. Esther doesn't have a death wish, and she's not suicidal, okay? We need to understand this. Though she has the thoughts we just explained, though she has this thoughts of, I'd rather die in obedience than live in sin, she would prefer not to die. <laughs> she would prefer not to die. How many of you ever heard of the movie Love Dare? It's a movie with Kurt Cameron. It's based on a book um, to, to help, you know, if marriages are, are having a problem. Anyway, so in this, this movie Love Dare, it's, it's about this guy who's, who's having a rocky relationship with his wife and these kinds of things. But the opening scene, he's a firefighter, by the way. The opening scene is there's this wrecked car on, a, on, on the railroad tracks. And so the, the fire department shows up and they got to move this car. And, and the train is barreling down and they're like, we got to get this car moved. We don't have time to, to get any kind of heavy machinery. We're all going to have to just muscle it up off the track and, and take it off the track. It is possible. I did plenty of pranks in high school and college to where you can lift the car and turn it so that they can't get out of their parking spot. It does work. You can't do it. But anyways, so the, the entirety of the, the fire department shows up and they're, and they're picking up this car. And of course it's, it's gotta be suspenseful because it's a movie. And 
so this train is barreling down and, and they're all picking up their car and they're like, hurry up, quick, quick. You know, you got a couple thousand pounds and you can only move so fast. And so there's this one guy, he's, he's on the end that's on the track and they're coming and they're doing this. Here comes the train and he's like, ah, ah, and the train comes and, and they just get off the track and the train just misses him by like an inch. And he's just like, ah, as the train comes roaring by and he's just screaming, and the train is like, oh, we made it. We did it. They get back to the fire department, and one of the guys asked the guy that screamed, you're born again, right? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I know Jesus, yes. He's like, if you know Jesus, and you know you're going to heaven if you die, Why'd you scream so loud when that train passed you by? I mean, if you're so confident in this. And he looks at him and he says, these aren't the exact words that I've memorized, but he's like, listen, I, I am confident in my salvation with Jesus Christ, and I am confident that, that I'll make it to heaven. I just don't want to get hit by a train to get there. <laughs> I mean, Esther's confident. I love God. I know God. I would prefer not to die, though. I, I really would prefer not to die. So what does she do? She tells Mordecai, get all the Jews together. Pray and fast for the Lord's favor. I am willing to die. I would just prefer not to. Let's see if we can get a real victory out of here without the loss of life. Let's see what the Lord can do. So would you gather them all together? I'm going to take... You know, my attendants and my ladies, who technically are not Jewish, they're, they're all Persian, we're going to fast and pray too. You guys fast and pray for the next three days, and then I'll go before the king. And if I perish, I perish. Listen, friends, this is, that's why we gather together. That's why we get together like this on Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, prayer times that we have. I mean, even for goofy stuff. You don't have to do everything on your own. You've got a church family here. You've got fellow brothers and sisters in Christ that can help you out. And I was telling Stevie last week at the end of the, the meeting, I was like, I thought that went real well. There were, there were aspects, you know, it's, you know, you, you get big projects like we discussed and those kinds of things. You're just like, Lord, I, I don't know what's going to happen. But when we come together in one spirit, in, in, you know, in one heart, one mind kind of thing with the Lord, it, it just makes it that much easier. And, and you can look at these obstacles, and though there may be some intrepidation there, and it's like, man, I don't, I don't know. At least I've got my brothers and sisters in arms to move forward, and we're going to see what the Lord does. And that's what we see with Esther. That's what you can have in your own life. That's why you want to keep, you know, you want to stay connected with brothers and sisters in Christ right here in church and doing those kinds of things. This is why we have, like I said, we have those times of prayer and praise reports on Wednesday nights. We're doing it on Sundays and stuff like that. We do that so that we can lift each other up and not go through various situations alone, but to be able to help each other and be with one another. And so that's what Esther's going to do. And that's what the people of, of, of the Jewish nation are going to do. Mordecai automatically does it, says, all right, we're going to go do that. I'm going to gather everybody, all 
three million of us <laughs> trying to get us to to pray over it. It's probably not all three million of them, but he's going to get the word out as fast as he can. Definitely within the capital of Susa, they're going to be able to do that, and those things happen. Now, listen, friends. We discussed at the beginning of the message that Satan was probably sitting with Xerxes and Haman, drinking it up, thinking evil has won. We are going to make this happen. Now, I'm not going to give away the end of the story of Esther, but most, if not pretty much everyone in this room, knows that this plan doesn't succeed as Christ does come to the earth. The Jews are not annihilated. Uh, I won't give you details. It's a great story, so I won't mess that up. But, but we know that Jesus comes back. He comes to the earth through the line of David of the Jewish tribe of Judah. But listen, friends, Satan is still at work. It's just a little bit different now. It's just a little bit different. It's too late to try to wipe out an entire nation of people. Instead, he's going after the individual. You know, Satan, I often like to tell people this, especially young people. Listen, this is not, you know, good versus evil. You know, the the kids and I, you know, the other night we we rewatched, you know, um, Avengers Endgame. We watched that again. And, and so many people out there think that, that is, that's how life works. God is good. Everybody else is evil. You know, Satan's evil. And they're, they're equally empowered. And there's just, oh, I don't know how this is going to end. Or, or if God really, that's not how it is. The Lord's one. He's got all the power. Satan has, has, has nothing. He can't, he, he's not going to be able to do it. But so he has to... He has to do whatever he can, whatever's in his arsenal. And the biggest arsenal that he's got are lies, are, are deception, and those kinds of things. He'll come and tell you, you're not worthy, you're a loser. Remember when you did this and that. God probably hates you. You know your wife and your kids, or your husband and your kids, or you know your family hates you. You're everybody. He's going to throw that all the time. He's going to do that. He's going to continue to attack you, to get you off the path, because what is his goal to seek, kill, and destroy. I mean, that's, that's what he's doing. He's coming in like a heat-seeking missile, and he wants to take you out. He's dishing out everything he has in his arsenals, the lies, the fear, inactivity, temptation, everything that he's got, he's going to throw it at you. And listen, friends, just within this chapter, we can see how we can respond in three different ways. Number one, we can respond like Mordecai. We can respond like Mordecai. We know exactly what is going on, and we approach the gates of hell with sackcloth and ashes, knowing that God is going to overcome those gates. We know that Satan is moving. We know that Satan is working. And we have the power of the Holy Spirit. And we can humbly bow before the Lord and say, God, I'm going to go out to the proverbial city gates and I'm going to scream out your name. I'm going to scream out your power, your love. In humility, knowing that you can overtake those things, I'm going to be like a Mordecai, and I'm going to do something to, to, to make these situations change, to bring life to my family, to bring hope uh, to my family, to my friends, to, to those that would not know your son. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do that. We can respond like Mordecai. Sometimes, though, we get messed up, and we have to respond like Esther. And what do we mean by that? You need that nudge. Something happened, you got lost in something, you got lost in your finances, you got lost in your house, you got lost in your church, you got lost in something, and, and you're like, I'm, I'm pretty good here, I'm pretty comfortable. And you need that Mordecai to come and tell you, hey, listen, you're getting too comfortable. 
You need to stand up and you need to do this. You need to act in this situation. You need to find out who the Mordecais are in your life, whether it's your spouse, maybe it's your kids, a parent, a pastor, a teacher, someone that knows Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and is going to continue to lead you and guide you in the direction that you're supposed to go. And you respond like Esther does. Say, man, I, I kind of messed up. I kind of screwed that up and, and I wasn't really paying attention or something happened and, and I lost my focus. But man, this person came in and gave me the nudge in the right direction. And then boom, you're, you're back kind of in the same status as Mordecai. I know what I need to do with sackcloth and ashes. Here I come. And I'm going to storm the gates of hell with Jesus Christ by my side, with the power of the Holy Spirit behind me, and I'm going to move forward. But then there's a, there is a third way to act when Satan attacks. And that's like an unmentioned character. This character does not exist in chapter 4 of Esther. The person that does nothing and then ends up having to suffer or we end up being disciplined for our disobedience or for our cowardice. The Bible does speak against cowardice, friends. It really does. James talks about it, and I didn't write it down. But, but the Lord comes against cowardice. He, like we said earlier, he has provided every single human being that would call upon the name of Jesus as their Lord and Savior. He has provided every single human being that does that with the power of the Holy Spirit. And the whole purpose of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to give us that boldness to stand forward, to stand, to stand strong and move forward for the kingdom of God. If we do nothing, friends, the Lord's just going to move on to someone else and we're going to suffer. We're going to suffer. I'm not going to say you're going to lose your salvation necessarily. The Bible does talk about, hey, listen, you can, you can live life kind of like this. You know, you're worshiping God and you're doing okay. And you make it into heaven as one escaping the flames is what the Bible talks about. Well, idea. I really don't know what that means exactly, but it's not something that you want to do. Pretty much in short, you want to be following God as strong, as hard as you can. And once you've found those Mordecais that can help you nudge you in the right direction and follow that, you're good to go. Or maybe, like I said, you just automatically know, I got to move forward. I know what Lord has on my heart. And you move forward like Mordecai. You do not want to be like the character that does not exist in chapter 4, the person that does nothing. Now listen, friends, if you've responded like the third person mentioned, technically non-responsive, you don't have to live in shame. You can be forgiven and you can move on and be obedient and courageous the next time up. You're not dead yet. You still have breath in those lungs. You can still do that. If you messed up and you know you messed up, great. Not great. Uh, bad. <laughs> but the Lord's forgiveness is there. The Lord's cleansing power is there. And you can move on. Some of you here today, again, you need to know who your Mordecais are, the people who can point out the areas you've turned a blind eye to and start seeing what God is calling you today. Any way you look at it, friends, we need to make those pivotal decisions and act in a godly manner. We need to understand the humility we need to have and see the situations that are before us and say, God, how do you want me to act? Lord, what direction do I need to go? Because unresponsiveness, friends, the Lord's just going to move on and you can end up perishing by the time it's all said and done. Why don't you stand with me today as we close this up? We're going to pray. And I just want, 
I just want you to think about your life. Where are you at right now? Where are you at right now? Am I your Mordecai right now telling you, hey, you got to get in the right direction. You're not, you're not doing something right. I don't know what it is. No, I don't feel the Lord speaking to me that way at all. But maybe you heard this message and you're like, man, I need, to, I need to go this way. Maybe some of you are Mordecai and you're in the middle of it right now. You're in the thick of it. You've got the sackcloth and ashes and you're crying out to God saying, Lord, I need your help in this situation. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's school. Maybe it's a, anything. It's time for you to call out to God. Some of you, though, may be sitting here unresponsive and just kind of letting life go and just, I don't care, whatever. It doesn't end well, friends. It does not end well. Wherever you're at today, you need to cry out to God and say, Lord, help me to be responsive. Lord, help me to, to, to get back into the swing of things. Lord, help me to continue on. In, the, in this difficult situation and pray that prayer today. Just say, Lord, help me, help me, help me, help me.